I'm Josh Way. And I am Jacob Stevenson. Welcome to our podcast here at Shutterspeed Media. This is a podcast for people interested in video and photo production in the automotive industry. Our goal is to share, educate, and entertain you with stories, experiences, and content that we create, plus bring on guests to share their experiences in this field. Today, we are discussing horror stories and not the movie kind. It's uh, basically things that we have faced that were less than good days. They are the um, better than some, worse than other days. Um, We've put together a small list of uh, various things that we've encountered over our careers so far. I've been in this field for over 10 years, um, almost five years totally on my own. That's crazy. And I've definitely encountered a few uh, bad days and interesting stories. Yeah. Yeah angry clients for whatever reason um broken bro- bro- gear broken gear yeah yeah like all broken manner cars. all manner of uh just bad day so jacob why don't you go ahead and start us off with maybe um a few stories that you've had or maybe some broken gear um as you can imagine in our industry there are a lot of moving pieces when it comes to our work and there's also a lot of individual parts that go into creating a camera package and so i've got stories from tsa taking equipment to stuff falling off the car and getting run over to uh, other people in the room not knowing how to handle the equipment and dropping it Um, and i would say to date uh, my worst experience is running over the camera package off the front of our rig car. We were filming the second crown rally of 2019. We were not recording anything. The camera was off, the gimbal was off and locked, and it was just sitting at the front of the car. Um, and we hit this bridge pass, kind of a, a clover leaf from the upper highway, bridge pass down, curving around to the bottom highway. And when that G-force, I don't know what it was, because we this is the end of a day, probably the second or third day. So if the rig got loose or whatever, it wasn't keeping close enough tabs. Um, we hit this bridge pass and the Gs were just enough to watch that front end of the rig collapse, slip out of the hooks or the clamps, whatever happened, I well, still don't wh- even know. What happened was, I mean, that it came apart that was slowly getting looser and looser so yeah you know, something and was over I the we had course of your the rally. safety figured out but as we have learned and time tells it is not um and so it was just one of those slow motion moments watching the front of the rig car fall off and hit the ground and then my entire car Kind of just kudunk as I drove it over. It was essentially like uh, watching a big pile of money just just set on fire or, or fall out the window onto a uh, alligator infested lagoon. It was a uh, it was a bad loss for Jacob that day. I, I uh, remember fondly when he called and um, just wanted to come home at that point. In uh, I was done. Angry I was rage. like. I, I like to think that I'm not an angry person and it takes a lot to get me there, but that was enough to get me angry. You weren't and like, I was angry. like, you were just, you were just mad. Like okay. you just wanted to be done. You wanted to Frust- check out, punch your last tick and just go frustrated, home. frustrated. Yeah. And it was, I had to finish the job. So I had to get out of the headspace of all the broken stuff, still focus on capturing what we needed to capture and then move on. So we had a couple of days left on that event, came home 
it was actually all rented equipment. So I had to have that tough phone call with the supplier. And then it, it was about a nine month process to find resolve. And it cost a lot of money. Moral of that story is uh, proper, have proper insurance that make sure uh, and make sure it covers. This will probably be a reoccurring theme over today's podcast is, is have insurance. Have insurance. It's going to be like the, the name of our, of our book we're going to write. Um, so speaking of rig cars, um, we had another issue with a rig car, the vehicle itself. Um, I'll let you run with that story as well. I mean, we were on it together, yep. but why don't you run with it? Tell, give us the backstory on what we did there. Well, our rig car is, let's say, transportable in the fact that we can take the rig wheels slingshot isolator off and then we can put it in a case. We can put our camera case. We can put our gimbal in a case and then we can fly two jobs and build rig cars with suction cups, clamps and speed rail on virtually any vehicle as long as there's some prior planning set in place. And so a client flew us to... Detroit, Michigan. No, we started in Maryland. Maryland. They flew us to Maryland. They gave us a Maserati Quadraporte. Oh, like an original one, like a Ferrari V8. I don't know. I think it's like it has a Ferrari V8 in it. Is that why everyone likes those cars? Derivative. Yeah, it's you know, there's some Ferrari stuff in there. It's kind of a gangster car. It also it sounds great. It's not like that fast, a big heavy sedan, but it it it's a cool car. It was nice to drive. It was comfortable. comfortable. We We took it from Maryland to Detroit to South Carolina, did the Tale of the Dragon right. like five times, all the way down to Nashville it ended. Yeah, like in Kentucky or whatever. And then we flew or North home. Carolina, we Asheville. Fl- yeah, Asheville. Then we flew home from Asheville back to Minneapolis and the client drove the car back from Asheville to Maryland. Um, and essentially they wanted us to document their rally and wanted to run a rig car and we're like, sweet. So we flew out, we built the rig car, we had all the supplies, we're mobile, we're able to do that. You should hire us to do that. But the car broke on us and, and we were well, after a very that. specific with, shot. I mean, without picking the picking on the owner of that vehicle, any, because he was, you know, he brought us out there. And they're great guys. And they're great guys. Um, that car just seemed to be disintegrating underneath us at the whole rally. Like over the miles we drove, it just seemed like one thing or another would just like, <laughs> like Josh, right. what, what happened here? There's another light. I don't know. There's another like engine light or like the, the mirror adjustment switch broke just, off, just fell off and like was broken. And <laughs> I that, think we hit this huge bump on the highway. It's like, we're like, what was that? We're like, what is happening to this old Maserati? It's, it's so it more or less like it was kind of giving up on us before, um, before the inevitable happened. And the rumor has it that that car has a very interesting story. And the buyer, who we will probably have as a guest on these podcasts in the future, could tell us that story in the car. It's no longer, he doesn't have it, he sold it. So they got rid of it. Oh, the Maserati's gone? Yeah, they got rid okay. of it. He replaced it with what he has now, and we'll let him tell you about that. But anyways, yeah. um, <clears throat> it was just a series of things. And day two or day three it was a four-day rally event we built the car we drove from maryland to detroit one day and then we had the car for another full day which got us down to indy yep. where were we somewhere uh, in detroit well we started technically started in detroit for the event so but it made it we made it day one from De- uh, maryland to detroit day two from detroit down where the heck were we somewhere in ohio yeah <laughs> And then I think it broke on day three. And with these rally events, I really lose track of where these events happen. <laughs> Things move fast. Like it's, it's hard to remember it's exactly either the highway details. bombing and you're going faster than the light of speed, which is terrifying. Or you're in the country roads with no service and you don't really pay attention to where you're at anyways. 
So anyway, this car, uh, the Maserati, was doing great. I mean, aside from like the things that were melting and you know just did falling off, um, it was it was a great cruiser. It was comfortable. It was a great rig car. We were getting great footage. It was um, no issues. You know, it, it the motor didn't skip a beat. Uh, the whole time. Um, finally, on I think that day three, we yeah. rolled into a gas station and all the cars and all it the people. It was hot that it day. It was very warm. Um, everyone kind of like parked up, gassed up, getting some snacks. Uh, for some reason, we were in where Kentucky and there's, I remember yeah. they were selling, what was it, like peanuts in <laughs> soaked peanuts or something? That or it was the pickle in a bag. No, it was this something was something weird. to do with peanuts. It was like boiled peanuts and it was just like this <laughs> nasty stuff. <laughs> And that's, were, they loved it. That's something that happens down in Kentucky, I guess. Not not up here. Um, so anyway, we kind of made a plan at that point. Uh, another uh, incredible car on the rally was uh, uh, Marcialago. 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 Um, that's Marcialago. A, yeah, Ed Bullion would say it. You know, Marcialago. Marcialago. Yeah. That too. <laughs> um, we had it as an LP640. Yep, and it, but has, it was e gear. It wasn't a uh, manual. But anyway, this thing loved to shoot fire, and Huge we haven't got fireballs. like fireballs. We haven't gotten any good footage of it yet. Popping flames, like like good quality footage of it. We mm-hmm. were like, let's go do this right now. Yeah. Um. So we rigged a camera onto the front of the Maserati this Correct. time. It was on the back for most of that day. We relocated it to the front. Yep. And we said, okay, we got we got to chase down this Maserati as he rolls through the gears and gets those fight. Like, yeah, you, you need to load it up. Yep. And get the you know enough back pressure and gas in the exhaust Lots system. Lots of extra fuel. Basically, just blows an explosion out the tailpipe. Um. So we took off from the gas station, and for the next was five it maybe, miles. Yeah, maybe ten minutes of driving. We were just trying to keep up with the Murcielago. Murcielago. Um, <laughs> we're switching around. <laughs> we have to keep that theme going. Anyways. We were trying to keep up with the Murcielago to get that footage. We had to be close enough where it was actually going to show up. Yeah, because it was broad daylight. And so a fireball in broad daylight, as you can imagine, is harder to see than if it was at night. In hindsight, this whole thing was a very bad idea. And, but here, it, and here's why. It's, it's for an internet video. People want to see cars shooting fire, let alone at 100 miles an hour. And this Maserati is just working. So at I'm, first it's heavy. I'm it's driving. got a bunch of drag with this camera. And this Murcielago, Murcielago is much faster. Murcielago. <laughs> It is much faster. And so this car is probably, the Murcielago is probably third, fourth gear pulls, which means the Maserati has to be in at least third or fourth gear all the time, keeping those revs up because he hits it, we can hear it. We hit it, we try to stay, he pulls away. We usually stay on the gas a little bit longer so we can kind of zoom in on the back of the car as the fireball comes it out. It's just a bad idea. Just there a was a couple idea. good shots, I think. It was so zoomed out. Um, we were so far away. But Josh is driving. I'm focused on filming and suddenly we get a phone call from the 720S behind us and it's it's that driver. Well, hold on. Notice. Before that, we were just running for those about 10 minutes at basically Correct. red line trying to keep up with this car. Yeah, hard pulls to red line. over 100 degrees. At least. And we were we were just bombing this car to try to keep up with the Murcielago to get the footage. So Murcielago. 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 <laughs> and so we're trying to keep up with this car and there's 
how did we realize it? We get this phone call from the 720S behind us, and he's just like, you got stuff coming out from the car. You got stuff everywhere, uh, just white smoke. I think immediately it I was, looked down. It, it was a second, and you're like, whoa, the heat's climbing. I saw the heat climbing. was tapping out like on the high end. Yep. And then at that moment, we got a phone call saying, holy guys, I just got sprayed with with something, oil or whatever. Like I just got coated. Convertible 720S, and this guy's all sticky. Just got sprayed behind so us. So we pull over. We actually turned the car off, still gliding pull over let it try to cool down we get underneath my first guess was head gasket because i know nothing about these v8s but assuming it's a ferrari v8 it's maybe very high maintenance um and so it sits on the side of the road the mercy lago saw that he ended up pulling over and then reversing back to us to kind of figure out what's going on and there was a pop the hood and a lot of smoke a lot of smoke we uh kind of found out we blew a pretty significant um, coolant hose off the back of the motor that comes the in firewall. off the back of the motor on the bottom. There. So it's virtually not accessible unless it's on a lift. It's not repairable. It's accessible, but it's not repairable on like Napa doesn't cover, like they don't have that hose like that. It's a very specific hose. Um, so we popped the hood and quickly realized that the coolant is gone. We blew a hose. It's all gone. And at that point I had to take off to continue filming this event and you stayed with the owner of the car to try to figure this out. And then also they had their own um, truck and trailer following the event. Right. So it was prepared to be towed, but they wanted to fix it. So I was um, I was left on the side of the road with <laughs> the car owner and everyone left us. And we... It ended up being like an hour and a half, maybe two hours well, before it, the rig, before the huge truck and trailer showed up. It was several hours um, <laughs> in total before we got basically moving again. We sat there for like an hour or so and or almost an hour and decided there's a there's an exit like half a mile ahead let's just let's just drive you know turn off the heat no turn on the heat heat. we turned on the heat all the way full blast in the 100 degree heat just to try to keep as much heat away from the motor as possible and all the windows down really low revs we got up to the exit pulled off at a auto zone or whatever and yeah there just happened to be like an auto shop well, right it there. A little, it was a, like a nice little town up there, but um, no place was open. I think it was like a Sunday or something, end of day, toward the end of the day. Nobody was open and, and uh, no one had a lift that would, nobody wanted to put that thing on a lift and we couldn't see what was wrong, what blew. And you guys uh, got your hands on a couple of chunks of coolant. We went into a dollar store and a dollar store. A dollar store. I didn't even know that. And we went and got some coolant. Um, and we just poured it in to see what would happen. And it just all gushed out. So it was like a blowout on the bottom of the motor. In and out. And thankfully at that moment, the support trailer vehicle um, arrived and we loaded it up. And that was our ride from there on out. The car was done. So it didn't drive another mile on that rally. However, we did end up transferring. Once we got back to the hotel for that night, we transferred the rig car from... After some discussion. After some discussion. We transferred from the Maserati and actually put it on the back of the truck pulling the, the trailer. support vehicle truck. Which I think was a lifted, wide body, basically rally truck. It was a Ford F450 Super Duty. It's just a big built truck on huge. air suspension and huge. But anyway, that that uh, that Maserati was done and um, we were able to rebuild the rig on a different vehicle and kept on doing the job so another issue we've encountered quite often as we travel i travel quite a bit um for jobs for photography and 
the airport the airport part of travel is is the worst part it is the worst for this industry um we travel with a lot of gear when i'm just going out on on um, these types of photography gigs i've gotten my kit dialed in so um i don't bring it i don't check a bag ever my main Lucky. my main case is my camera case which is a a pelican case carry-on size roller bag and in there it's all photography gear my computer fits in there on top of it all and squishes in and, and it's great and then i have a backpack which usually carries my drone as well and then what few pieces of clothing I can squeeze in around it. Um, and then I usually strap my tripod to the outside of the backpack. So I've got my kit pretty dialed. Um, and the reason is because TSA is not very friendly to people with, you know, carrying large amounts of camera gear. Right. Not only is it hard on your gear because TSA guys are rarely gentle. Um, but it's it's uh it's usually a red flag. Our gear always gets opened up. The only thing that I think about when it's time to go to the airport and it's time to deal with TSA and check luggage is the scene from is it Toy Stories when you go into yeah. the back room and it's just this huge cavernous space of of conveyor belts and suitcases. But they're back in the back there. If you check a bag, um, they they still open up bags in the back if they if they flag or, or random search yeah, especially if you're checking batteries and guess what our camera bags are always r randomly searched Random. um so i've had um non-tsa like bolt locks i've put on bags but i quit doing that because they just keep getting cut off by tsa guys because they want to see what's going on inside our bags because there's a lot of electronics and weird camera gear that's stuffed in there and, and that's always yeah. a red flag yeah I've even, I spend the extra money on TSA locks. So they got the special key to open it. And they still and break it. The, the TSA locks either cut and in my bag or not on my bag when that gets there. Yeah, it just disappears. So one notable thing is I, the biggest reason I try to travel with just carry on is because I can avoid the whole check. To this is true. Um, but uh, based on where I go, I sometimes on smaller planes and the planes with three seats across um, a roller bag does not fit. It, it, it simply does not fit in the overhead that the overheads are like basically made for suitcases. Um, so they basically make you put the thing on there. And I'm, I usually sweet talk the gate agent to be like, I need a fragile sticker. This is okay. extremely valuable. You listen here. This is my job in this bag. If you guys break this, I'm out of the job. You understand? <laughs> and most, I would, I would hate to be that gate agent. Well, it's terrible because I've witnessed bags. Like you're looking out the window at your plane, right? Yeah. And you see the conveyor belt loading, going up to the belly uh, where they load up all the luggage. And I've literally witnessed bags falling off the end of it. So, you know, <laughs> the guy at the bottom loads the bag, the bag rides up, la da 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 da, all the way up to the top. And the top guy wasn't looking at that moment or he's still loading a different bag in the belly. And that bag just goes off the, <laughs> off the end and falls like 15 feet to the ground. Now, if that happened with a camera bag, yeah. Padded or not, something's broken in there. Guarantee. Um, so I try to avoid that as best I can. Um, even when you're on a plane that does fit your bag, like any any plane with four seats across in total uh, will fit your bag or these bags. Um, if you're not at the gate early enough, if you're not in a priority enough um, loading uh, a number or whatever, they often make, cool you, make you uh, check gate check your bag because there's there's no room anymore. Um, that's never the case. Hey, you fly a lot. You can always say, hey, 
let me just take the 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 val the whatever the valet card and I'll 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 give it to the guys if I can't find a spot. But I have to try try and get this on the plane. Yeah. Um I've never failed. There's n- there's always a spot. And even when there's not, sometimes you can sweet talk somebody right away like hey, like do you mind like can you like if there's a backpack, there's always some idiot that puts a backpack in the overhead. So he's like, "Hey, whose backpack is this? Can like can I is there any way I can have you put this in front of your feet?" So I can get my bag up here. It's filled with val- you know valuable stuff. You try to be discreet, but um, yeah, those are my TSA issues that I deal with, and it's just a constant, constant uh, uh, problem to deal with. I don't know that I've ever really had major TSA issues, but I have had batteries taken from my checked luggage. Really? Yeah. Like somebody for, stole your batteries. For my monitor, whatever those, they were super common, just kind of thick battery. And I don't know when they scan them, it, it waves the thing, but I have. 10 of them in my case probably for lights and recorders because I use the same batteries and I've had one or two just go missing over my career. <laughs> Sometimes they go crazy over the whole lithium thing, but yeah, I've also heard that you should put all of your batteries in your carry on and then replace that space with like your cameras and other nonsense in your checked luggage. But I'm like, nah, yeah, nah. I'd rather have my, my important expensive stuff with right. me checked always or not checked in on carry on. In addition to the TSA world that is so joyful for our industry is backing up and storing footage. And I've learned recently that they actually have storage for, I'm sorry, they actually have insurance for footage. You can insure the footage that you back up for projects, let's say. Like you've got a, financial? Financial like backing. Money so like cover hypothetically, right? You delete all the footage from a project. That client has paid you for that project. Insurance will cover that. So you can actually insure your footage from projects. And this would have been a nice thing to know many years ago, actually when I was first starting, probably 2015, whenever RWB Minnesota was going down. Um, this, and if you don't know what RWBs are, if you don't know what RWBs are, they are, they are these old air-cooled Porsches that this guy Nakai San has become world famous for chopping up and putting wide bodies on. Oftentimes they're bagged. Sometimes the people will do motor upgrades so they're bagged and fast. Um, it's really, it's you either like them or you don't like them. I like the looks of them. Um, never driven one. Been around them a handful of times, filmed a lot of them. And one of the projects that I had a loss on, you could say, was after filming a week's worth of building, um, my backups got duplicated. And then I accidentally deleted one of the backups, which inevitably deleted all of my footage. So then suddenly I was stuck there with the shock and it's like, holy cow, I just shot a week and I deleted everything. Um, And that was before having the conversation with the client, I went and did research and there's, there's programs you can buy that will go through your computer and deleted content and hard drives and it'll actually pull pull it back from the archives. And it pulled back about 95% of what I deleted, which was really impressive. But it was also a learning experience. And since then I have not ever deleted a project <laughs> and should probably get insured for that. But it's kind of a due, 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 due diligence thing. It's kind of a due diligence thing. Basically, immediately after a job, you back up. Even if you're tired, even if it's late at night and you get home after a job and it sucks and you just want to go to bed, <clears throat> um, you just can't risk back not backing up something immediately, making sure you got everything. And uh, redundantly, hopefully, too. Everything that I shoot is backed up in probably three different places. I've got the portable drives that I actually work off of. And then I've got a copy on one set of what I call archives. And then I've got a duplicate of that archive stored in a separate location. 
So actually in my a house. Secret location. Not so secret, but <laughs> one location's in the basement, one location's upstairs. Oh, I, mean, I thought you meant like you buried it out in the yard or fire, something. Fireproof safes. <laughs> yeah. Buried under the tree with my gold. A safe would be a good idea. Like that's that's really the most realistic rather than an off-site thing, which is impossible to manage. So you'd be constantly going to that thing or off-site storage to back up your stuff. That'd be annoying. So another story that I have was I was on a project late last year in the fall. Um, we had a freak nice day, which was perfect because we were at a racetrack for a project. Um, and I had the opportunity to drive one of the vehicles and we we're driving it all around the track. The track was closed so we could go backwards if we wanted. Um, but we were just driving it around to different spots, taking photos, doing videos. And, uh, I was in this car at one moment and this is a, oh, no, I can't say what kind of car, but it was, it's, it's worth over a million dollars, this car. And, um, I was driving it to the backside of the track at one point. I think you were in the rig car and something happened. I had to slam on the brakes fast. I think you wanted some footage. You were on the radio telling me to slam on the brakes. Yeah, I wanted that hard brake shot kind of where the camera pulls away as, right. the, as the car is braking. So I did that, but I totally forgot that like my camera was just loose sitting in the passenger seat. So sure enough, slam on the brakes and it just like flies forward into the footwell. And it like didn't hit any, it didn't like hurt the car at all. This is the footwell is the footwell. There's nothing to hurt down there, but it was a hard enough hit. Um, so it, this camera, right when I hit the brakes, went flying into the footwell and it's, there's some hard surfaces down there and. Yeah, my camera, this is a pretty hardcore car. Uh, it's just I carbon. thought my camera would be, I thought I'd have cracked glass, but thankfully it didn't crack the glass, but it did pretty severely dent the filter I had on. It just, that's right where the point of contact was, was the edge of the filter on the lens. And that was done. I couldn't even spin, spin it anymore. The filter. Were you able to get it off the lens? Yeah. In my experience, I had a client, well, not necessarily client. I had someone on the job for one of my clients open the car door to a, a camera package that was kind of sitting in the back seat. We were transporting it from one location to the other. I thought I buckled it in because I kind of do that. It's funny, but it's also safe. You know, you got to protect what's expensive. And they open the car door and the camera package, full gimbal camera lenses, everything rolls out and just hits the ground. And it fell out of a pickup oh. truck, you know, so it's like a four or five foot drop. Because the, it, the whole package would, would normally be on the rig on the back. So correct. like the yeah, gimbal and, it, and the camera and all the stuff that goes and, with it. And based off of past learning experiences, I shouldn't drive with the camera off and locked hanging off the rig. I should take it off so it doesn't fall off right. and run over again. You thought it was somewhere safe. But so he opened the door and it's, it's like not nothing against fault. him. It's just one of those unfortunate things. And the lens got dented and it didn't crack the glass of the lens, but it broke the variable ND filter and the polarizer that was on it. Um, but the lens was so dented that you couldn't actually unscrew it. So I just picked picked the glass out of the rings. Oh and yeah, I, yeah. I just screwed another variable ND to the end of the broken rings. <laughs> hey, <laughs> whatever, works. whatever works. Um, yeah, being in this industry, you're just gonna encounter mishaps with with gear it just happens whether as careful as you can be like in that case you thought you were safe but somebody uh didn't know it was there and you know it fell out so insurance is everything that was a that was a cheap mm, cheap in comparison to what's out there lens mm -hmm. so we actually still use it one of the um probably the worst moments in my career so far was uh being involved in a lawsuit that was one of the darkest yeah. moments for me. The general me. public doesn't understand how protected the stuff that we create actually is and how ownership works. 
And so I've had experiences where that can be misconceived and they feel entitled to whatever I create, even if it's the raw assets or the final product. Right. Well, I'm not going to get into the ins and outs of this lawsuit. Um, what happened uh, or what, not what happened, but um, what people don't understand. And it just usually comes from a lack of understanding or education on, on copyright law. And it's it's uh, pretty cut and dry. Um, the federal government covers this with federal copyright protection for any creator, for anyone that takes a photograph. Um, if you shoot a, fo- a photo on your phone, um, that photo is yours entirely. Like it's intellectual property that you own. No one else can take that without permission. And if they do, you, you'll, you have every right to, uh, protect that, that asset and, uh, and sue them back or, or take whatever means necessary. Um, obviously in a world filled with content, um, things move pretty fast on the internet and there's a lot of, there's a lot of theft out there of, of, photography and video assets. It's just the way it is. And we publish, uh, our work on social media and guess what? Like, you know, a dozen pages share it and don't give you credit. And that's, that's kind of the world we live in. It's, it's this mindset of people that don't, that, that think everything's free, right? That they think that everything can be used, um, with or without credit. And so yeah. in, in my case, it was just, um, a dispute on who owned the work that I had created. And it was, it was pretty dark times for, for me and my family and we expensive times. Yeah. There's some, some, some lawyer stuff going on. Um, but we got through it we, we kind of made a deal and, and made it you know, just move it on. Um, it's always unfortunate when work has to come to kind of that conclusion of fighting. Right. And I like to think I'm a pretty reasonable person and, and like you can generally find a solution with, with open discussions and, um, um, I don't know, just being, being a a, a decent human being. Yeah. It's a weird gray area in the general public, especially in the supercar world that we seem to be involved with a lot for whatever reason, when we take footage or photos or whatever of other people's cars, they also feel entitled to that raw asset and it's how do you approach those conversations nicely to keep friendships and relationships right obviously as a young shooter you, you know you, do, you you think you have to do whatever it takes to get opportunities but um there's a lot of people and i've been victim of it and basically everyone i've ever met that shoots video photographer has been victim of uh, manipulation of some kind with with you know people trying to get assets for free um and even use it commercially, which is, in our opinion, pretty wrong. That's correct. Yeah, and what we're creating wrong. is commercial grade content. And if now if somebody you know, wants to use it to sell a product, they need to own those rights, you know? So yeah, like what we're getting at is just, we've encountered lots of drama in our, in our area and around the country. There's, there's just a, a lot of people out there that don't feel like they need to pay for things. That's generally how it breaks down. Yeah. And again, unfortunately, sometimes these things break down and they go into fighting or lawsuits or broken relationships. And then sometimes a project just fizzles out. And I've had a few of those where a lot of times I take my project fees 50% up front because that covers the laborious work that I have to do to capture the content and to pay subcontractors and other fees along with music licenses and all that stuff. And essentially we create something and I've delivered a product and it either doesn't meet what they thought we talked about or our preconceived notions are completely on different pages. And for whatever reason, they're not happy. Um, I always do my best because the client comes first. Um, but sometimes the project just fizzles out and that's kind of another form of loss in this industry. 
Um, do you have some examples or not? Yeah, we're not going to name or, or you know, anybody. <laughs> I think a good example of what I mean by project fizzles out is it seems to get through the shooting process. I kind of show select sometimes depending on who the client is. I try to develop a relationship first to understand how they want to see this process unfold. And it always seems to be once we get into editing and there's a point where I have used the budget that is allotted for post-production and production and all the expenses that come along with a project. Physical expenses. Yeah. And the client still wants changes, whether that's revisions that they didn't know they wanted or for whatever reason, they think that we're going down the completely wrong path and it's our fault. And you have to have that tough conversation of we are more out of money. Right. And it's at that point, typically in my experience, when a client's like, okay, you know, thanks. And they either don't respond anymore or project fizzles out or. I mean, I think a lot of that comes from, uh, it happens early on in a career when you're still figuring out contracts when you're still figuring out how to communicate. I would um, say what your product is. We're years into this business and it's still hard to understand into, or it's still hard to figure out an appropriate way to charge clients. Because a lot of the time when it comes to post-production hours, if you're breaking down your time hourly versus day rates, you know, how do you estimate that? And then how do you figure out what you're worth per hour? And then how do you track that time? And right. then, yeah, putting a picture in your client's head of what something's going to look like in the end is, is, is the big part of it. And then adding in just a certain number of re- revisions before, re- you know, recharging, having that all set up ahead of time. And that, those are things you just kind of learn along the way. And, uh, sometimes you get bit sometimes you gotta, you know, um, eat your pride, but yeah. Sometimes a lot it of works my out. Projects Sometimes that have doesn't. fizzled out are ones that weren't contractually bound. So that's also a mistake on my own part. Right. So that's just part of growing in this field. Um, there's a lot of expense that comes with the field of video production. I am actually not FAA certified. Neither is Golden Peaks and I subcontract Josh or other drone pilots that are because that is a world that I'm not interested in. The perspective is sweet and the footage you can capture is sweet, but I don't want to be responsible for everything that can happen. Right. The general public thinks drones are from the devil and they're yeah, used well, to spy on people. <laughs> well, there's two camps there. There's the people that come up to you while you're flying your drone and they're just, they're, they're just think it's incredible. They're, yes. they're just like, tell yeah. me more. And really you're on a job and like, you don't want to talk to these people. You're trying to focus <laughs> on flying, but these people always come up to you and say like, no, what kind of drone? Now my, my nephew has a drone that, that he has one just like, blah, blah, blah. Um, so that's one camp. And then the other one is, Hey, uh, are, are you filming? No, you gotta stay off my property. Like I <laughs> don't, don't be film. This is public. This is not right. Yep. That's and, a headache. Um, I have no interest in that. Well, not only that, but the, um, yeah, no, I, I believe that you should always hire, you know, the professionals for jobs you need done. Um, whether that's a plumber, whether that's an electrician, you know, or it's Josh for drone. landscaper or, or me for drone. I, I'm not, I'm not like the best, uh, uh, by any means. I love it. Um, enough to get, I got certified, uh, to be a pilot, which is done through the FAA. Um, you have to take a little course. You have to do a big test. It takes a lot of hours and some study time, um, and some fees. Um, but that doesn't mean you are immune from issues and a couple of issues I've had with drones. I've never lost a drone or never broken a drone, but I still have ran into multiple issues. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of things can happen to drones in the sky. 
they are susceptible primarily to a lot of magnetic interference, which sometimes the drone can even tell you um, when there's a communication issue between the remote and the aircraft. Um, Use that before takeoff or during takeoff. It'll tell you that. Um, But sometimes when you start flying it farther away and it runs into some issues, you're not going to know there's an issue until it's basically a runaway. Um, And that's something I've dealt with. I've had a couple of runaway drones. I didn't lose them, but I essentially lost complete control. I was on a job up in northern Minnesota, and I'm in an area where there must have been a lot of metal in the ground. And that was thrown off the compasses that are built into the drone Um, and the GPS. You know, it runs off multiple systems, but this one was like... I threw it in the air and it was just going on its own. I mean, it, it's like it had a mind of its own. And I'm just well trying to get said. the shots while avoiding trees and avoiding a total runaway. And the footage was far from perfect, but uh, that was just like one case where it's just like, oh my gosh, I could lose this real easily. And then the the um, add-on to that story is... Um, that client that I was shooting for like the next year, he had hired a different drone photographer and he was shooting in that same area, like that same geographical area. And he lost his drone. Ooh. So he lost control of it. This, I'm not gloating cause I didn't lose mine, but I'm just saying <laughs> this shit happens. And he lost his drone and it was over water and it went for a swim and he never recovered from that. I suppose drones don't float. No, they don't. They sink promptly. (laughs) (laughs) And it's dark, murky water. And it's like not going to recover it. So that's just like... I, I have happily avoided total destruction. Um, I've hit a couple of trees with some runaway issues too, but they it didn't break the drone. Uh, I've been lucky. Well, that's good. A lot of the things that we talk about too, you can see on our social feeds and uh, YouTube. So we like to do a lot of behind the scenes, whether it's uh, fun stuff or bad days. So it's uh, we share, we try to share uh, everything that we're doing. Yep. We just want to share our experiences in this industry and continue to help educate viewers and hopefully collaborate with a lot of you guys. So thank you for taking the time to listen to another podcast. Right. And if you have any questions, comments, or would like to collaborate, have any ideas um, for us, like to just give us feedback. We are, uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us or comment on uh, our YouTube videos or any other number of ways or, or social media. So feel free to reach out and thank you for listening. We have stickers. 